It's time, Fort Wayne. Your sports, your station. It's, it's the, the Sports, sports Rush, Rush with, with Brett Ruff. Covering all the topics that hit a nerve here in the Summit City. Only on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Now here's your host, Brett Rump. The Wednesday. It is the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump, along with Adam Lundy, and we've got you connected on the Parkview Sports Medicine text line at 46862. Big news today out of Kansas City as the city and community tries to celebrate another Super Bowl championship and violence breaks out. A shooting during the parade that what is it, Adam, has left one person dead? You've got the details. Yeah, it's um, one dead, nine injured reported as of now. Uh, very upsetting situation here outside of uh, Kansas City. It was right near Union Station, right in the heart of downtown, yeah. right where everybody that's, was. That's the big gathering point. And, yeah. and uh, they did apprehend two individuals who yep. were armed. Yep. And so hopefully they, uh, they will have to uh, face justice. But... Uh, unfortunately, it ruined the parade, and the Chiefs players, who were not injured apparently in in the uh, the shooting, no, but they were let off on buses. And uh, Albert Breer was reporting that the the players stepped up and and kind of took ownership and and helped to lead some of the uh, what do you call it the uh, the soothing. Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I don't even know how you describe what they had to deal with with this huge crowd, all these kids. Yeah. But uh, Albert Breer explained it probably better than I am. Yeah, he said that the the Chiefs left the parade in buses and in shock. Uh, he was told that players were unbelievable, calming panicked kids down. Uh, Blaine Gabbard, Trey Smith, Austin Reader, Chris Oladukun all rallied and helped calm kids down. Uh, Trey Smith even went up to an upset kid, gave him a, a WWE title belt that he had been wearing during the parade, and sat with him till he come down. So really, you know, it's it's good stuff to hear about the Chiefs helping out the kids and stuff, but just an overall really tragic situation. And, and right in probably the most populated area in Kansas City, uh, and of course they are showing scenes right now. Uh, we've got the one monitor that we are watching, and it's a live shot. Which, of course, most of the downtown area has been vacated now. Yeah. And, uh, but hopefully it's the all clear since they did apprehend the suspects in the shooting. But just a sad thing to ruin what should be a joyous celebration for the community and for the city of Kansas City. And then it turns ugly and it turns into uh, a situation where there's, there are some or one at least that lost their life today. Just a terrible situation. Yeah, terrible. And of course, some of the Chiefs already sending out, you know, you know, thoughts and prayers for Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes tweeting out praying for Kansas City. Our own Drew Tranquil uh, sending out an ex post saying, please join me in prayer for all the victims in this heinous act. 
uh, praying that the doctors and first responders would have steady hands and that all experience full healing. So just really, really sad stuff. Yeah, very disappointing. 46862 is Parkview Sports Medicine text line 46862. Well, tomorrow officially begins the celebration in our state capitol as the uh, city of Indianapolis welcomes the NBA All-Star Weekend, something that has been in the works for almost a decade. And it was originally supposed to happen during the COVID year. Of course, that then got canceled. And here it is finally up on us. And uh, starting tomorrow the festivities will all begin, I think, is it Friday night you've got the celebrity game? Yep, yep. Uh, Friday night you've got the All-Star Celebrity Game and you've got the Panini Rising Stars Game. The Rising Stars Game, which does have a couple of mad ants. Of course, we wouldn't know that because they took our team from us. But yeah. but, they're, uh, <laughs> but one guy who is playing, Kyle Mangus, which a former Warsaw star. So congratulations to him for being selected to participate um but the the festivities will culminate with the all-star game on sunday night down in indianapolis and of course uh the city and the visit indy and indy sports corp they wanted to make sure that the public could enjoy this the fact that you only get this in your city once every 30 years or so uh and so they are holding the All-Star Saturday night at Lucas Oil Stadium. Plenty of tickets that were very inexpensive. Now, you're not going to, I mean, you're going to be in the <laughs> upper levels. But, right, but, but the fact that you can then say, I attended All-Star Weekend when it came to Indianapolis. That's really cool. Uh, just a little news, actually. Uh, Imani Bates is going to be in that, uh, in that Rising Stars game. Now he's replacing an injured forward. Uh, all right, so let's talk a little bit uh, about the Pacers because they have a game against the Raptors tonight. It kind of starts a stretch where you feel like maybe the Pacers have a chance to get some separation. Right now they sit in that sixth spot, which you don't want to fall to seven because then you come, become part of the play-in. You want to be safely in the top six. They are at number six right now. But tonight's game is a special one for the Pacers, even though they are going to be uh, dealing with some illness that's going through the team. I think Ben Matherin, I think he's ill. They're not sure if he's going to be able to play. Miles Turner is listed as questionable. He's dealing with an illness. But uh, but tonight, the Pacers are in Toronto. Why is this significant? Well, because Pascal Siakam makes a return to the team that traded him about, what, three weeks ago? Yeah, three three weeks ago. So it hasn't been that long that he's been an Indiana Pacer, and I'm sure that Toronto will show their appreciation for his career in Toronto, as uh, Pascal Siakam returns as the Pacers visit the Raptors. And, of course, the Pacers just trying to stay in that sixth spot. They're just barely ahead of Miami. Uh, and, of course, that is the final playoff spot with uh, without having to fall into number seven, which puts you in that play-in. Mm -hmm. And the Pacers come off a bad loss that they've got to make up for. They yeah. lost to Charlotte. Not a, not a team you should be losing to. No, it doesn't matter. And Doug McDermott was 0 for 4 from three-point land. The Pacers were out-rebounded 46 to 32. Now, I know rebounding has been an issue for the Pacers, but that's an effort stat. That just shows whether you're ready to play. You get out-rebounded 46 to 32. You just did not show up for that game. And uh, I don't even know if we need the rebounding stat. You just need to know the Pacers lost, and you probably know they didn't show up for that game, especially when they only score, what, 104 points or whatever it was. Yeah. A team that averages, what, 120-something. Right. So uh, 
big one tonight going into the All-Star break. Because the other thing, too, is this game sticks with you for a while because you do go on to the break. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to lose back-to-back to two teams you should beat in Charlotte and Toronto. And so it's a big one for the Pacers tonight. Also, uh, I said that we would uh, we would talk a little bit about the big week for Mastodon's women's basketball. And they've got Milwaukee Thursday night. And then on Sunday, they've got Detroit Mercy. And both of those teams are right there in the pack with the Mastodons. As the Mastodons try to get into the top four, they, you know, the top four in the Horizon League will get a bye and host the second round yeah. of the tournament. The yeah. fifth place team will get the bye. But they'll go on the road and play at number four in the second round. And so you want to be in the top four. The fifth place, you know, it's kind of a consolation prize. You get a bye, but you have to play the second round on the road. But at least you do get a bye, so you're guaranteed getting to the second round. Yeah, this is actually yeah a hugely crucial section of the schedule here for the women. Uh, they're actually sitting at fourth right now at eight and six, but the two teams that they play next on the schedule <laughs> are both right behind them at eight and seven with just one more loss. Yeah, half game ahead of both of them, and they've got them head to head. Well, you can do the math. Yeah, they get beat, they slip a spot behind that team, and so that's why it's so crucial this week for the women tonight. The men. We'll be taking on Oakland, trying to sweep the season series against the Oakland Golden Grizzlies. Meanwhile, Oakland comes in trying to catch up to Green Bay, who is a game ahead of them for first place right now in the Horizon League. Our action starts at 645 with the pregame show. 7 o'clock, the tip, live from the Memorial Coliseum. Hope to see you there in person. If not, just tune into the radio tonight. Streaming, on air, online at 1380thefan.com, we've got your Mastodons covered. We are back on the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. I am Brett Rump, along with Adam Lundy, and joining us on the guest line. Of course, I could not imagine spending Valentine's Day without our favorite guest. So he's got to be on the show, and here he is. It's Kent Sterling. Kent, good afternoon. Good afternoon. You know, I woke up this morning thinking about the dress. I said, it's Valentine's Day. Where's my dress? That's right. That's right. <laughs> let's not take this too far, Kent. You're a nice guy, but let's let's kind of let's kind of draw the line at some point. When, when you're waking up, and I'm your first thought in your mind, it's starting to scare me a little bit. Uh, <laughs> all right. So today we learned the news. Chris Holtman. And I'm not, not surprised that Ohio State made this move, new athletic director, and of course he wants to make his mark, and Ohio State's struggling, fan base is unhappy, attendance isn't filling the arena. I am a little surprised, though, because to me it's making a statement that it crossed the line last night, and Chris Holtman is out at Ohio State. Your reaction? Yeah, I'm, I'm really stunned. It rarely happens in college basketball. They usually wait until the end of the season. You grade a guy based upon an entire season's work or the entire era that a, uh, a coach works. And Ohio State stepped up. They made the change. And who knows, maybe this jump starts things, maybe it doesn't. But this was going nowhere fast with Chris at this point. I love Chris Holtman. He's a good guy, and, and I know him personally, and I'm sick for him. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Better to be sick for a guy who's leaving Columbus, Ohio, with about $20 million bucks. <laughs> In, in revenue that he's generated through his time there. But I, I think that Chris is, I, I think he's better suited to coach at a place like Butler, where he's going to be asked to be kind of 
on the court and be part of the development of players. And at Ohio State, you're more of a CEO, and that's really not what Chris is. Well, and, and I was going to ask that question. Where did it fall apart? What Was it recruiting? Was it the portal? Was it the NIL? Where did it break down? Because he had a pretty good three- or four-year run, and then it just completely collapsed over the last couple of years. You know, I think he's great at developing. He's great at recruiting a kid who's going to come in, and uh, Sean McDermott comes, just springs to mind somehow or another, a 6'7", 6'8", kid from Pendleton Heights, and was under-recruited uh, given the level at which he could shoot and defend. He went to Butler. He developed over the course of five years there. He had an injury redshirt year and really played good basketball at the end. And, and that's what Chris is really good at. He's good at identifying a kid who can come to a place and work for a couple of years, get on the court, and, and represent the university and, and win games for the program. And at Ohio State, it's more like, all right, we got to go get five-star kids. And when you start, when your day starts and all you're thinking about is aggregating talent instead of developing, you know, skills over the court, course of a couple of years in a curriculum that works, you know, and I, I, I think it's the wrong guy at the wrong time for the wrong job. And you're right. What, what you said about NIL, the portal, the game's changed. And, and being a, a head coach at a place like Ohio State has really changed. And I think because of that, it sort of cycled the skill set that Chris has got out of use for the university. And so they're going to go hire somebody who can do it, I guess, or who they think can. One of the things I respect so much about you, Ken, is you're not afraid to step up to the plate and take your big swing. Because I think in Sports Talk Radio, we've got to be able to take some some pretty big cuts and sometimes they're the most impressive strikes when they hit the catcher's glove. And unfortunately, on Friday, you had one. You picked Indiana to win. I don't want to harp on this. But, <laughs> but uh, it was a really impressive swing. I mean, it impressed all of the fans. But uh, but seriously, Indiana falls uh, short and things turned quickly. Uh, you know, Indiana came out and they played okay to start. But then uh, the game just got away from them kind of in the middle portion of the contest. Uh, what happened and how did it happen at Mackey Arena? You know, I, I think the same thing happened to Indiana that happened to me as you had your preface for that question, <laughs> where I felt like, hey, this is going to be a compliment, and this is really, really nice. And I'm, I've lived up to somebody's expectations. I love the and setup. And then all of a sudden, kablooey. And, and uh, no, it's a criticism. Um, <laughs> on Valentine's Day. On Optimism Wednesday. What has gotten into me? That's terribly rude. You know, I, I think what happened was you had a point guard who was not playing games in Braden Smith. And then on the other side, you had a point guard who couldn't play at all, and that's Gabe Cups. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabe Cups was not built to play against this level of competition, at least not at this point. Maybe in a year, maybe in two years, he's going to be a really good point guard in the Big Ten. But right now he can't defend a guy like Braden Smith, and right now he's way too easy to defend. He can't score. And, and that's a bad thing. And then you couple that with the level of excellence that Zach Eady brings and the rim protection and, and all of that. It, it, that was just a that was a terrible performance after the first 10 minutes. First 10 minutes, I started to feel pretty smart. 
I'm like, hey, <laughs> they got something going. This offense is working. Everybody's sharing the ball. But as soon as it started to go south, guys turned selfish, and they started to play for themselves and tried to lift the team through their own work instead of trying to run what they needed to run to get it to work correctly. And, and that's a terrible, terrible idea against a team like Purdue. What Ken is really saying is when the pitch was halfway to the plate, it was a fastball right in the wheelhouse, and he was feeling really uh, – no, Ken, seriously, it is a compliment. It is a compliment. But you know what? We had to have some fun with it. Uh, sure. You know, when we talk uh, Indiana basketball, what's the fix? If Gabe Cups is the problem, do you put C.J. Gunn into the starting lineup? Do you try a, a new starting five? What's the solution? Oh, there's no way this ends good. Like, there's no solution for this group of people. Um, what's got to happen is is foundational. You know, you, you need Mike Woodson or somebody to come in and say, all right, here's what our culture is. This is what we're going to recruit to. We're not recruiting to stars. We're not recruiting to five stars who've been turned away by Duke and Kansas. That's not who we are. What we are is X. We're going to recruit to X. And, and go find guys, whether they're ranked 230th in the country or 5th in the country, you recruit the guys who fit your culture. And Indiana has done a terrible job of that all the way back to 2012. And they've got to get better at it. And they've got to understand that this is the way you build a winner. You don't build a winner through, you know, hopes and dreams and five stars. You know, it's interesting, Kent, as you were talking, I was thinking about a conversation we had yesterday with Rayfield Davis, who joined the program. And I said, I think the biggest issue for Indiana, they have no identity. There's nothing they can yep. fall back on that builds the, the, the groundwork for a successful team. There is no identity. They can't play defense, can't shoot threes. They're not a post interior team. They, they, a couple of times they looked like they could be that, but then they got away from it. Uh, they're not guard oriented. I mean, what is, I mean, it seems to be a problem. I think you've got to recruit to an identity, and they don't have one. Yeah, and, and that's, and, and what happened in 2012 is they really changed their identity. They went through recruiting Indiana kids who could really play, kids like Cody Zeller, and, and I'm not talking about ge geography. I'm talking about Indiana-type kids, and, and so that's what we mean by culture. And then in 12, they went out and got uh, a bunch of kids to commit uh, kids, and I don't mean to pick on him, but his name comes straight to mind, uh, Jeremy Hollowell. Mm -hmm. And Jeremy Hollowell did not fit the culture that Tom Crean had established to that point. And there were other kids in that class who were likewise ill-suited for Indiana. And, and all of them, virtually all of them, wound up leaving and you wound up with guys like Honor Mascara Perea, who was getting other kids into trouble. You wound up with Peter Jerkin, who couldn't play dead. And, and so, Indiana, then Crean started recruiting others who were similar to that. He didn't learn his lesson. He doubled down. And Archie Miller doubled down and, and tried to get guys who could, you know, he had no culture. He thought that he was coaching at the University of Archie Miller. And not the not Indiana University, and you can't have that. And I would love for Woodson. I thought that they had a shot when Dolson hired Dane Fife and Thad Mata onto the staff. I thought, okay, Mata understands culture. 
Fife really understands culture, mm-hmm. and so they're going to be able to pull Woodson over to the good side in this debate. And what happened is that Woodson kind of repelled both those guys. Fife gets fired, Mata walks away, and you wind up with guys who are really, really good at going out and impressing five-star kids and selling the idea of coming to Indiana to them. And that's not the way to build this thing. It's not the way it's, it, it's done in the Big Ten at a high level. It's not the way Purdue does it. You've got to be Purdue at their own game. You, you can't come in and think that you're going to do it with talent all the time. And that's what Indiana does. You know, and we, we keep buying into it. We're talking about Liam McPherson as though he's going to come in next year and he's going to be the guy who saves it, just like we, we're saying the same thing about all these other guys. We're just, we are too stupid to change, change lanes appropriately and avoid traffic. And by next year, you'll know it's McNeely, not McPherson. But that's okay. We're, oh, we know yeah. who, we know <laughs> McNeely. <laughs> we know who you're talking about. But that just shows how insane Indiana fans have gotten. Now they just throw a name out. <laughs> Ken, we got to talk. We got to talk Colts football real quick. Uh, Anthony Richardson's back throwing. I think that's significant. Yeah. That's good news. But I I want you to to respond to this because when I was watching the Super Bowl the other day, I. I the next day I woke up, and no, I did not think about you first thing. I actually thought about the Colts situation, <laughs> and I thought, you know, we keep barking and complaining the Colts don't have a number one receiver, a number one and two receiver. They got no one to pair with Pittman. And after watching Kansas City, I started to think, you know where the money should go? To somebody who's a really creative play designer and play caller. Because you can take average players and make them great just by putting them into situations where the defense doesn't know how to handle it. And I think we saw that with Kansas City. And I think Andy Reid is exceptional at that. Taking above average, average players, maybe above average, but he but he puts them into positions where they can make outstanding plays. And I'm like, that's that's all the Colts need to do. You don't need to have a guy that creates his own play. The play design is really where it's at right now in the NFL. Man, but it really doesn't hurt to have Travis Kelsey <laughs> and maybe the best quarterback in the history of the game. Don't ruin Those my point, good. Kent. Don't ruin my point. I, I was on a roll. Well, I said it kind of quietly. <laughs> Maybe if you're ring great defense. Yeah, you know, I was thinking that the Colts just need McPherson on their team as the next <laughs> wide receiver. Well, Liam McPherson. I think that's what Mike Woodson calls him. He probably does. <laughs> probably does. He's been around recruiting that much. That's probably what he does call him. <laughs> but I, I think that the Colts. You know what, if they could, at 15, if Brock Bowers falls to him at 15, you, you got to get a tight end who can play. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at these teams, the teams that are at the top of both conferences, they've all got tight ends who can really, really play. And, and the Colts haven't had that since 2018 when they, they had Eric Ebron, who's playing for a contract, and, and really put up some good numbers for a year with, with Andrew Luck. They had their guy for a brief window. Um, you, you got to go get that guy, whoever that guy is. Go get that guy, some tight end that can come in and be the security blanket that Anthony Richardson needs. And and then I think he got a chance with with Jonathan Taylor, a real tight end, and Pittman. I I think he can go to work with Anthony Richardson and feel pretty good about where you're headed.
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and we'll see how it goes with Anthony Richardson. But it's good news that he's ahead of schedule. Yeah. And uh, and it looks like uh, on his path to being available for twenty the 2024 season. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Kent, always appreciate you, man. It's always a, a terrific uh a terrific segment when we get a chance to visit. So appreciate you so much. Have a uh, great rest of the week, and we'll talk to you again. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yep, that is Kent Sterling from KentSterling.com joining us uh, here on the Sports Rush. All right, we'll take a timeout. When we come back, we've got Homestead Lady Spartans coach Rod Parker getting set to take his team to Laporte for the semi-state. They'll play the 11 a.m. game, which is 10 a.m. local time in Laporte, and they'll be taking on Lake Central. We'll get a uh, update on this team, how it's been different coaching such a young squad made up of almost exclusively sophomores, and uh, and how uh, they've gotten to this point and what the challenge will be on Saturday. It's all coming up next with Rod Parker here on the Sports Rush, 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Welcome back to the Sports Rush, your daily local sports fix, 4 to 6. Brett Rump, Adam Lundy, and the Parkview Sports Medicine text line, 46862. That's how you get connected with us on this Valentine's night. Uh, and uh, we are pleased to be joined by the Homestead Spartans girls basketball coach, Rod Parker, as Homestead prepares to head off to a semi-state this Saturday. And first of all, Coach, I guess congratulations on the sectional championship. Congratulations on the regional championship. Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, you only thank me once, Rod. You should thank me twice for that. I just. <laughs> hey, uh... you're right. I hope I can thank you again at some point. <laughs> That's all right. I owe you flowers. It's Valentine's Day and we asked you to come on our show. So, hey, I'll tell you what. Let's talk about this young team because I started thinking about this. Not only, obviously, were you, were you the young team against Columbia City, but I have said repeatedly over the years that when you have two talented teams, and it gets to this point in the season, I always tend to give a little bit of an edge to the team that has the seniors because they're playing with urgency. They're not playing with house money. Is that ever a concern? Is that ever a thought for you with this young group that you're going up against these teams that have all these seniors where they have no tomorrow and your team still has a couple more years of basketball to play? Absolutely, Brett. And, you know, that was something that went through my mind before the season started. Uh, when I knew I'd be starting four sophomores, and I looked at our schedule, and we were have a Norwell team that was going to be very senior-heavy. Noblesville's very senior-heavy. Snyder's got a lot of seniors. Northup's got a lot of seniors. And so I, I just looked through all of our, our schedule, of these teams, uh, Columbia City, that just have a lot of seniors. And, and the big question was, how quickly can we grow up, and how are my kids going to handle those games, those fourth quarters, playing against uh, teams that, have the Jordan Pools and the and, you know the Baxters and the older kids, um, so that, yeah, we we put a lot of thought into that throughout this year. Um, I think we've handled it pretty well for the most part. I think we took uh, a lump in a couple games early with Noblesville and Snyder, where I felt like their senior leadership of our opponent kind of showed up at the at the last couple minutes and won the game, or I guess our lack of our experience. But uh, as the season's gone on, and now that we have 27 games under our belt, we've really improved in that area. And right now our kids are playing really confident that I don't think it's nearly as big of an issue uh, as I thought it was earlier in the season. Through the process of the season, Rod, uh, the players obviously have to learn what you expect, but you're also learning the team. So there's a learning curve going on a little bit both ways. Uh, what have you learned about this squad that maybe you didn't realize at the beginning of the year? Well, number one, they play with a lot of confidence. 
They really do. They're, they're a fun group. They're a confident group. Um, but, you know, I think the one thing I really learned about them is just their passion and their energy for the game. And very fortunately for us is they have great chemistry and they really enjoy being around each other. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about bringing your individual strengths uh, to the team to make the team as good as it can possibly be as a whole. And another way of saying is, you know, is play your role. And these kids have done a really nice job with that. You know, we have a lot of kids that came up from JV and so on this year, and they've just come out and they, they found ways to make us better, even though it may not be in the box score um, or talked about in a radio show. But they've done the little things to make a good basketball team. You know, this team does seem to really understand their roles. And uh, I, I wonder, because I don't think you can develop that in just one season of basketball. And I assume that it's all part of the feeder system that you have there at Homestead, that these kids kind of come in already understanding what their role is to make the team successful. Yeah, you know, it is. Um, this year did pose a little bit of a challenge when you graduated five seniors last year, and then when Emma got hurt, um, you know, it was like, who's going to be the lead dog? You know what I mean? And obviously Maya's grasped that and, and has gone out there and become one of the best players in northern Indiana, if not the state, especially in our class. But then everyone else kind of had to fill in what their role was going to be. You know, Gabby had a good identity. Whitney needed her identity. Carly and Liv, the way they've come on um, and really become very good basketball players for us. Uh, the bench, et cetera. So that was interesting at the beginning of the year because, you know, who is the kid going to take the shot at the end of the game? You know, who is, who is going to be the kid assigned to the toughest defensive assignment, which has changed throughout the year. You know, Carly has stepped up in that role, uh, has been doing that for us the last three or four weeks, where early in the year she wasn't. So, yeah, it, it's been a fun evolution, I guess, of this team throughout the season. What's a more difficult team to game plan for? Because uh, I, I look at what you faced in the regional and what you've got coming in the semi-state, and one team maybe has one player that's obviously going to be the key to the scout because they're offensively gifted, they're a top scorer. Uh, I look at this Lake Central team, and I think every player that's going to check into the game averages 8.8 .8 points per game. Unbelievable balance with this squad. It is. And you know what? Uh, planning for a team like Lake Central, I think, is much more difficult than planning for a team that's got one or two prolific scores. Um, because uh, if a team has a couple prolific scores, then I can match up my best defenders to them. And we can try and play a chess match that way. You know, when you have a situation where a team is as balanced at Lake Central... Now we've got to look at, okay, maybe a couple of kids on my team where defense isn't their strength. How are we going to utilize them? How are we going to prevent them from being exposed and so on um, on the basketball court? So um, it's going to require a very good defensive effort by our entire team and not just a couple people stopping a superstar. What uh, When you look at Lake Central, obviously they've had a successful run. They also have a lot of experience. Uh, what is it? I think they have like 70-some wins over the last uh, three years. I mean, this has been a really good team with this group of young ladies. So what is the key that you see in Lake Central? Well, you just mentioned it. Um, they do have the experience. They have, we talked about it on the show, uh, they start three seniors and two juniors, and they made it to the, to the Final Four game last year in our state tournament. So last year they won the morning game, lost in the evening. So they've been here. So they're, they're trying to get to that next step. And so we've got to make sure that uh, we go in and we're really focused and we play a mature basketball game because uh, it's going to be a true battle.
Do you still feel like you have a target on your back? You've had so much success not only as a coach but as a program and have that state championship. Uh, do you feel like teams give you that extra respect and maybe they, they elevate their game a little bit knowing this is Homestead, this is one of the best programs in the state? Yeah, um, I do feel that way. And, and, of course, a lot of coaches are going to articulate that to me and so on uh, throughout the season. And, and that's a great compliment, not only to the kids playing for me now, but what the kids have done the last 13, 14 years have come through Homestead because they've laid that foundation. And there's a lot of people that really want to be Homestead, uh, sometimes for what kids did five, six years ago in this program, not necessarily where we're at today. So, you know, there is that. Um, but we're excited to have that. You know, we talk about it all the time. We want to be that program that people, you know, seek and, and want to play and want to compete against. And, and it does give us that drive and motivation every day in practice to realize we have to push ourselves because everyone's striving to get us. And so we have to set new ceilings. We have to set new boundaries on what we can do and how hard we can work um, because we don't know how fast the kid or the team is running behind us trying to chase it down. I don't know what the travel plans are. I don't know what the budget is, but you have to go the furthest distance to play your semi-state. And I'm not going to say that's a handicap because, you know, in some ways it gives kids a chance to really get focused on the bus. You've also had a number of long road trips this year. Do you stick with the routine of, of taking the two-hour bus trip to get there, day of game, or do you do you go the night before? What's the plan for your squad? Um, in this situation, we're going up the morning of to stick with the routine uh, because, as you said, we're, we're used to some two-hour bus drives. Um, and I think it's really important for kids, especially young kids at this age, um, to have routine but also to sleep in their own bed um, the night before. And I, I just... Sticking with the philosophy, that's an advantage for us to do that over driving up, you know, the night before. And, and then, obviously, the different bed, different environment, and so on, which can be fun. But in this situation, we have to remain focused and very in, into our routines. Good luck this Saturday, Coach. Uh, we'll be pulling for you. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yep, that is Rod Parker, coach of the Homestead Lady Spartans, as they'll take on Lake Central. Uh, Lake Central comes in. 20, what are they, 24 and 4. And the Homestead Lady Spartans, 23 and 4. So, on paper, looks like it could be a pretty good matchup. That game will be in Laporte, and because of the time difference, it will start at 11 a.m. We've got coverage of Norwell Hamilton Heights starting at 10 a.m. this Saturday. Uh, I believe it's Caleb Hatch who has the call on Saturday morning. It is our high school basketball coverage presented by Parkview Sports Medicine. Join Caleb Hatch from Huntington for the Norwell Lady Knights and the Hamilton Heights Huskies. You didn't think I was going to know the name of the team, did you, Adam? You were looking at me just waiting for me to say the Hamilton Heights. Huh. (laughs) (laughs) You've done your prep. I've done my prep. I am ready to go. Uh, We'll take a quick time out. We'll come back. Just about time to wrap it up so I can get out to the Coliseum for the Don's game. We'll do that next here on the Sports Rush. 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. You're listening to The Sports Rush with Brett Rump on 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM. Back final time here on The Sports Rush. Glad you're joining us for this Wednesday Hump Day edition. Of course, the big news of the day, Chris Holtman out at Ohio State. And uh, I don't think it's a surprise that this was going to be it for Chris Holtman. The team has not performed well. Had a disastrous first half at Wisconsin last night. In fact, I was prepared to actually go into and talk about today 
how there's no defense anymore for Chris Holtman remaining on the job at Ohio State. And, of course, the athletic director decided to make that call today. So Chris Holtman out at Ohio State. Tonight, we've got Mastodon's basketball taking on the Oakland Golden Grizzlies at the Coliseum. Coverage begins with the pregame show at 645. Thanks to the guests that appeared on the show, Kent Sterling. Always entertaining, and Rod Parker. If you missed any of the show, be sure you catch up on our podcast page, available wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Just search for us at Sports Rush with Brett Rump. That'll do it for the Sports Rush on this Wednesday. Have a great night. Happy Valentine's night. Enjoy it, and maybe some Don's basketball in your future this evening. This is 1380 The Fan and 100.9 FM.